Hey there, how y'all doing? Jay here of The Travel Guides, a podcast dedicated to making travel easier for everyday people like you and me. Just wanted to chat with you guys really quickly to update you on a few happenings with The Travel Guides podcast. Before we start with this week's episode, which will feature a pretty dope interview from Kara, a friend of the show who recently completed a trip to Thailand and Malaysia. She's got some wonderful tidbits that will be very beneficial to everyone listening. And I know that I found a few gems in there as well that made me want to uh, go ahead and book a trip. But first, we are very pleased to announce that the Travel Guides podcast is now available on iTunes. So please go to your podcast app on your Apple devices or iTunes store and search the Travel Guides. That's T-H-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-G-U-Y-D-E-S. We would greatly appreciate it if you all would subscribe. We thank you for your support thus far. We wanted to move to a more robust platform, uh, but the podcast is still available on SoundCloud as well. For those of you who have been listening to the Travel Guys podcast thus far, you all may know that International P is on his trip to Ethiopia, and so because of that, you will only hear myself and Kara featured during this interview. Although we cannot wait until International P returns to the States, I'm sure he'll have a, a ton of great stories and learnings for all of us to benefit from. Uh, with that being said, we will be featuring some interviews here and there because we haven't been everywhere and we have a lot of super traveling friends who, uh, you know, enjoy traveling the globe as well. So we want to be able to leverage what their experiences yield to help you guys out and learn a thing or two ourselves. So I'm going to stop talking and get off of here so you all can go ahead and get to the interview. I uh, hope you enjoy and happy Travel Guides Tuesday. Oh, and a quick sidebar, I'm fully aware that this monologue probably aired on the side of ridiculous, but the need to convey information prevailed. So please excuse the smooth jazz voice and uh, enjoy the podcast. For the, uh, this episode of the Travel Guides, I'm here with uh, one of my good friends, Kara. Hi, everyone. Kara is here. Kara is a, uh, a, one, a fellow wanderlust who has recently returned from a, uh, an Asian Pacific excursion, one that we'll delve into deeply here. But before, a little bit on, Kara and I both attended the University of Louisville, so that is how we know each other. And we are in Louisville this weekend for the Derby. So we are outside of a Heine Brothers coffee shop right now trying to dodge loud exhaust from uh, vintage cars right now. So And all the madness. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. So without, um, without further ado, tell me a little bit about, about your trip, when, when you got back, all that. Just give me a brief overview. Oh, gosh. Okay, so I was there from April 6th through the 17th, so a total of 12 days. But it was nice because I only had to take eight days off of work. So how'd, you, I, how'd you finesse that? Getting, getting those days Oh, just off. the weekends and whatnot? Yes, with the weekends. Okay. So I left on a Wednesday. Okay. So I took those three days and then the following week after that. Beautiful. So 12 days, only eight days off. It was pretty good. 
and just got back about two weeks ago and I'll tell you that jet lag has been a mother to get over. <laughs> it was a 12 to 13 hour difference so I probably spent the first week and a half getting back on schedule once I got back into the States. That's crazy. Did you just sleep on the flight the whole way? Uh, that was the plan. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I took some uh, melatonin tabs with me but they did not <laughs> Uh, work nearly as well as I wanted them to because it was a natural uh, okay. natural supplement. So when people say take the Benadryl, I'll suggest take the Benadryl because I wanted to knock out for, you know, the 10 hours or right. whatever, but I ended up falling asleep like an hour or so here and there. So it wasn't nearly as successful as I wanted it to be. Okay. But the planes all had entertainment on there, so lots of movies. I watched almost an entire series of... Uh, <laughs> A show on Japan, nice. so it was. I was entertained, so it wasn't too bad. That was a. What was the show? Did you you? That was the show you mentioned before, right? Well, no, there was this one show in between. You know, all due respect to my fellow uh, Asians, but the Japanese have an interesting sense of entertainment. Okay. And they had these little segments in between that were just kind of off the wall. So the whole time I'm watching the show, I was just like, "What? What am I watching right now?" <laughs> the humor and the animation is a little off. But A um, and A was the uh, airlines that I took on the way down, which is a Japanese airline, and they had a documentary series that was on each province within Japan. Okay. And I ended up watching like 25 episodes. That's crazy. <laughs> that. That's a, a new new definition to binge watching. Yes, yes. Okay, well, good stuff. Um, so, what what made you want to go over there? I actually met uh, the two people that I was traveling with through a nonprofit here in Louisville called the Crane House that I've been working with for the past gosh, four, four years or so, and they're both, so one is a native Malaysian, one is a native uh, Thai, and they go home every year to see their family, and it was one of those moments, I was like, why am I not going with you every year? Okay. So, um, I got with them probably, I guess, six months before the actual trip and said, like, hey, I'm really serious about going back with you all and we met on numerous occasions just to sit down plot out what we wanted to do looking at dates and getting the dates was probably the hardest time uh, because okay. at first we originally were wanting to go to Thailand for the full moon festival um, which is something that happens on an island off of Thailand every um, I think it's every month and it's a huge party but it's Notorious for lots of drinking and drugs, unfortunately. Lots of tourists that, that go. So we were kind of revolving it around that. But then the group and I were like, that's not really what we want to do. So why are we revolving <laughs> the trip around uh, that? All the drugs. So then um, Ng, who is the, uh, the girl from Thailand, she said, well, what about Thai New Year, which is the Songkran Festival? Right. And she kind of told us about that. Like, oh, it's like a water festival. Didn't really know what to expect about that. And I was like, okay, I'd rather do that. So then we were finally able to nail the dates down based on that. And like I said, we would just, like, get together every now and then and plan out the trip. And then finally we had the big get-together where we booked the flight, which was kind of the... That's, that's when you commit. That's the big moment. Yeah. It was. <laughs> uh, the whole time I was freaking out and I was nervous. I was like, are you sure this is the right one? And we were trying to get seats together and all that stuff. Right. And it ended up working out really well. Um, but it was it was some planning, some definitely some planning involved for a trip that big. Okay, good stuff. Now, we had talked before and... Um, I definitely want you to get into the Song Kong. Uh, am I saying that right? Song Kong. Song Kong yes. Festival, which yes. is the Thai New Year, because this was crazy. Yes. With the water fights <laughs> and everything. Yes. So, if you please. Yes. Tell so, us a little bit about that. Um, the Song Kong Festival, which is the Thai New Year, it happens on every April 13th. 
and the entire country celebrates it. And we were in Chiang Mai at the time, which is northern Thailand, which has one of the larger celebrations because they have a canal that goes down through the city and it's all centered around water. So it's that whole weekend is the celebration. A lot of businesses will actually shut down. Um, but that whole week, everyone is selling these short sleeve Hawaiian print shirts. That's the thing. I mean, you go into restaurants and everyone's wearing these ridiculous like floral shirts. It's just kind of strange. And every vendor on the street is selling super soakers, water guns, um, and this perfume, which I thought was really interesting. So they actually put this perfume in the water when you shoot the water guns, right. so it smells good. It's only going to be hazardous for the eyes. It, you know, and it wasn't too bad, because once you get out there, you're, it kinda is you can't it even is. tell what's up and what's down. It's just <laughs> so crazy. So uh, leading up to the day, uh, it started on a Thursday, I guess. So even that Wednesday, you would see people out in the streets with these buckets of water. And at one point, we were in the car, and Ying said, lock the doors. And we were like, okay, why? What's going on? She's like, they will literally open up your door and dump water inside of your car if you're not careful. Because the streets are very crowded there, and you're always stopping and whatnot. So we were trying to avoid that. And then we were going to go out to the festival that afternoon because, mind you, if you decide to go in... April, which is summer in Thailand, it's about 106 degrees plus there. Oh, my there. gosh. So like humidity or just straight oh, heat? Oh, both. I mean, you God. walk outside and it's your hair puffs up, you start sweating, and <laughs> it's just a hot mess. So Literally. Yeah, literally. So we were not going to go out early. We were going to wait a little bit for the temperature to come down. So we had gone out earlier that morning to just, like, grab breakfast or whatever, and right. we're walking down these streets, and we see these kids, and we're like, oh, oh crap, like, this is not good. So... We were in normal clothes, ready to go for the day, not ready to get our bathing suits or anything. And they just, they were literally chasing us down the street because we were trying to run away from them. And they're chasing us down and just like dump these whole buckets of water on us. And uh, that was it for us in the morning. But you walk down the streets and you see all the businesses that have patios putting up tarp. Um, You see people covering their cars because people are just ready for the madness right, basically. Just complete mayhem. Yes. So then we went back to the hotel, got all you know, got our bathing suits on, got our super soakers and went out and it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I mean the entire country is just out in the streets. They don't shut the streets down, which I think is weird. Right. People are in their cars, they have trucks with, you know, tarps in the trucks with water, just dumping water on everyone. Like they're toting the water. They're water trucks, for lack of a better term. And um, one of the newest trends is actually vendors selling blocks of ice to put in the water. (laughs) So most of the water feels nice. It's 100 degrees, and you get this water on you, it feels good. But then every now and then you'd get this one bucket just over top your head, and it was that that's shocking <laughs> because you'd see they have this huge block of ice kind of floating in right. the water and you're like, damn, that's that's a good idea. So Hopefully nobody got knocked out. No. I mean it's a huge party and everyone and when I say everyone, it's you see kids out there from as young as two years old with the little baby super soakers to older couples with their whole family and Ingen said she'd been doing it since as long as she can remember. It was just oh, the thing that you do if you're Thai and right. it's Songkran Festival, and we walked down the street probably a mile, if not more than that, and they had huge phone parties set up, all the major radio stations were out there, Uh, the food was everywhere, they had two or three concerts all down the street, 
And just everyone had their super soakers. People were jumping in the canal to get more water. And people would have setups where they would get those big trash like trash cans right. and fill it up with water so you can like refill your super <laughs> soaker and some were like charging for it but if you ask nicely for others they would they let you do it, it for free yeah. but it was crazy I mean we were probably out for three or four hours but people start in the morning at like 9am and they stay out all night and then of course like all the clubs and everything that night have huge parties as well that is awesome and it's the whole weekend so if, if you're gonna go to Thailand I think I had another girlfriend of mine who actually um, was a teacher there, and she saw that I was there for Songkran, and she like wrote on my Facebook wall. Right. She even said like I would do anything to be there for <laughs> Songkran Festival this year. So it's the one thing I think if you're gonna really experience the culture, I would suggest going. But it's hot, so just be prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, what what made? How did you distribute your trip? Because you went to Thailand and Malaysia. Yes. Correct. So how did you disperse your trip? So I actually started in Malaysia. I flew in there. So I was there for two, one full day and one night. I got in that night at like midnight. And the only thing I did was like grab, a, grab some street food. And then I had one full day and then we left the next morning for Thailand. So in the one day I was in Malaysia, um, I, we went to the Patronus Towers. So they're the largest twin towers now, unfortunately, oh, in, in the world. Yeah, it was a little, it felt a little weird. Um, so Patronus is their oil company in Malaysia. So that's like their one big company out of Malaysia. Right. So they own these twin towers. And we stayed in a hotel right across uh, the way from it. And it, it's just, it's beautiful. It, awesome. The view was amazing. Um, so we went to the top of that tower. We walked around. The city is very westernized, very modern. Which was surprising to you, correct? Yes. I, I didn't really know what to expect from Malaysia, to be honest. I mean, I thought it was going to be very much like Oriental Asian, for lack of a better term. But it was very much Middle Eastern. Um, 80% of the population there is Muslim. Okay. And then you've got Malay, the Malay people who are the natives, Chinese people, and Indian people, and they, they don't really. There's not really a melting pot like we have here in the U.S. It's they're very separate. They're just all living in the same area, but it's huge shopping malls, huge brands that you know we see here in the U.S. Shopping malls everywhere, and most most you know all the women are covered up, and hmm. it's it was just a very different experience, and even the food. I thought was going to be a little bit more Asian. It was very, it had a lot of Indian influences, a lot of Middle Eastern influences. It was spicy in the sense of not like temperature hot, right. or even like spicy hot, but spicy in the sense of just rich in curries and other like nutmegs. It was very interesting, the food. Um, but then after we did the towers, we went to Batu Caves, which was probably one of my first... Well, I lie. It was my second crying moment of the trip. My first <laughs> crying moment of the trip was on the flight when I was eating my Japanese food and my little ice cream, leaning back in my in my chair, looking out and uh, seeing the uh, the Rocky Mountains. That was not really what I expected. Oh, we went wow. west, you know? Oh, okay, right, So right. I looked down and I just wasn't even expecting it and you just see the entire mountain range and I was just like, oh God, and fighting the tears. Right. So, but after that one, um, Batu Caves was the second crying moment of my trip. <laughs> Because um, it's a Buddhist temple that's inside of a cave. And about seven years ago, they built a giant gold statue outside of it. And it's one of those things that as you pull up and you get out and you walk up to see it, the statue is just, it's breathtaking. It's huge. 
and the flight of stairs going into the cave is about almost a 90 degree climb it's almost like a ladder um the one mistake that i made was um i had shorts on and you had to cover your knees so they're smart these ladies out there had these um wraps that you could rent okay so they got you you know they got you there for like you know however much to rent it and you know similar to like the at the Sistine Chapel where they have to you have to cover your shoulders and all that this one was not shoulders just knees um because it's more of a tourist attraction right um I think for other ones it's both knees and shoulders um so that's something that culturally you know you have to be prepared for when you go over there with the Buddhist temples that you have to cover your knees um and even you know we were traveling with a guy friend and at one of the temples, you know, with men, they're a little bit more lenient. Right. But he had cargo shorts that kind of hit right at the knees. And even then, they told him, you got to go. Wow. So there, it's, it's interesting because you'll, you'll um, see different rules from temple to temple. But the general rule is have something with you to cover up at all times. So it's not gender specific. It's just yeah, it's body. Just, yes, right. more than anything. And um, But the Batu Caves, we went up in there and it was just amazing. They had the monkeys crawling all over, (laughs) which, you know, I'm like, oh, that's cute. But they're aggressive (laughs) aggressive and mean and I was not ready for it. Um, I actually bought this kind of like flower lay to go up and put at the temple. And those monkeys saw the flowers and they were coming right at me and grabbing at, at my neck. So I was not really prepared. I was trying to like not make eye contact with them. I was like, get away from the monkeys, get away from the monkeys. But, uh. You climb up up into the cave and it's just it's amazing. They have a temple up top. They had like chickens and just random animals running around. That's crazy. Yeah, and then we left from there. But they have a whole bunch of temples there um, as well. But Malay- Malaysia, I'd like to go back just to understand the culture a little bit more because right. it's only there for that one day. And then we walked around the walking street, which had like the street food and all that. And then we woke up the next morning and headed to Thailand from there. So Malaysia was just about a day. So aside from the um, aside from the knee incident, mm-hmm. did they did you encounter did anybody trip on you for have for exposed skin or not being covered up or anything to that effect? Not really, um, especially with Thailand. You know that that country is so dependent upon tourism right. that more often than not they can pretty much tell if you're a tourist. But that. That was really the only thing culturally that I would say people need to be prepared for. Like, I had a backpack with me, so I, I on the walking street, I ended up just buying one of those, like, wrap skirts and just kept it in my backpack okay, at smart. all times. And I had, like, a light sweater that I just, like, tied over my shoulders. Because, you know, again, at 106 degrees, you're really you not trying to, that, like, right? yeah, you're really <laughs> not trying layers. to, like, layer up. So it was nice to have kind of just something on me at all times because we would we actually made kind of an impromptu stop at a temple. Okay. And I'm glad I had it on me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to go in and right. take the photos and whatnot. But that was really the only thing culturally you have to watch out for. I mean, if you have any type of run-in with monks specifically, right. there were um, some other things you had to keep in mind. Um, like, you know, we actually, when we stayed in Thailand, we stayed at a cabin on the water. And because it was a tourist ex- attraction, they were a little bit more lenient. But you could pay for these care packages for the monks. Okay. And they would actually come in a canoe up to your up to your cabin for you to donate it and have, like, bottles of water, medicine, food, and snack. And for CY, you know, he was up to, he was able to go up to them, you know, pay his respects by making, like, the little hand motion. Right. And then give it to him. But when we went up, we had to make sure that um, 
you're really not supposed to be above or below them, but because they were in the boat, there was like the exception. Right. So you had to go up and like kneel down to them. You couldn't be standing up and dropping it. Okay. And they had a basket for you to put the package in. And Ing said, you, your hands cannot touch the basket even. You have to take the package and drop it oh, wow. into the basket because if you touch the the basket itself, right. they won't accept the gift. They'll just take it until you take it back? Yeah. Wow. So that was another thing that kind of got my curiosity feelers going is just the whole culture around monks in general because right. they make no money. So, of course, I start asking all the questions, well, how do they get medical care and how right. do they do this and what do they do for this but everything because did you get any answers for those I did because it's so ingrained in the culture everything is donation based uh, okay. so the only way they get food is if people donate food or if they grow the food at the temples they take care of the temples um, they even have specific doctors in Thailand that are just for monks that it's oh, totally wow. free I mean that's what those doctors choose to do but they live they have like I think she said like 270 rules they have to follow the monks oh yeah so and you can decide to be a monk and then you can decide not to be really so you can just wake up one day and decide to go so it's not what you're in you're in for life yeah wow. and then she said that she's known people that have gone to try it and done it for a year or so and then not done it so that would be interesting it, you know, growing up in the US you're just not really exposed to it you know, you learn about it in school or if you decide to research on your own, but to see them, like, walking down the street and right. seeing the whole culture kind of respect what they do, it was very it was very different. So I've got a lot of catching up on my research on monks. Because that was, <laughs> it sounded like a feature interest. Yeah, it was. It was kind of, like, my thing for the rest of the trip. I was like, oh, there's a monk. There's another monk and all that stuff. So it was, it was interesting. That's awesome. So in looking to, we talked a little bit about it, but in boiling down to the bare bones costs, of it. I know you had, your lodging was, you were staying with a friend, correct? No, actually we stayed in hotels. Oh, okay. So we, okay. Had, we stayed in, we went all over. So when I was in Thailand, we were actually in Chiang Mai, Phuket, and Bangkok. Okay. But we were in Chiang Mai most of the time. But we got our hotels uh, through Expedia. Awesome. So something Dark that I think most people, yeah, exactly. Most right. people are um, familiar with. And I'd say they, they range anywhere between 30 to $45 USD a night. Okay, cool. So it was very very cheap to to get the hotels and then when we were in Phuket we stayed at a beach resort that was our most expensive hotel and it was $75 a night wow and it was a full resort like walk out on the beach everything honeymooners good. everything it was $75 a night so that it, is crazy the, the flight was the most expensive part and then the attractions and the food and everything else after that super cheap how much was the flight so the big flight was about twelve hundred dollars. Okay, and then we had. That's really not as bad as I thought it would no, have been. Not, not at all. Well, we, well, we, we did. That's what all the research and planning was because we were looking at flying into Bangkok or looking at to flying okay. to Chiang Mai and so on and so forth. And there's different cities that are going to be more expensive, obviously, than others. So we ended up going with the cheapest route and moving our trip around based on that. So right. that one was twelve hundred, and then we had some domestic flights from. You know, I had to fly from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia right. to Chiang Mai, and then we flew from Chiang Mai to Phuket, and then we flew from Phuket to Bangkok. Wow. And that was, those flights are probably around $250 total. So those flights... All even, of yes. Wow. So the flights weren't nearly as expensive as I thought they were going to be. Right. The big one was the biggest blow, but after that, it was... Then it was all good. Right. Yeah. And as far as spending money went, I got about 400 dollars converted over right. and it lasted me pretty much the entire 12 days 
So and 400. I did, yeah. Wow. Well, I did, you know, some excessive shopping here and there, mostly on food, because I was like, oh, what's that? What's this? And <laughs> yeah, you forgot you are a foodie. I, yeah, I was buying just, like, weird fruit and weird stuff I'd never seen before. Um, well, what kind of fruit do they have over there that is okay, so indigenous in, to there? Well, you know, durian is kind of the the most famous thing in Thailand, the big spiky thing. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That smells, that people always talk about it, and I'd, I'd had it once in Panama. Okay. But it was frozen because it's not native there. Right. So, and it was god awful. It was so bad. <laughs> but I didn't have just the, the experience. Yeah, I didn't have the smell or anything like that. But you know, it's fresh over in Thailand. So I was like, okay, like I'll give this a second try because right. it's not frozen. It's fresh. They're you know, this is where they they grow. Um, it smelled so bad. So I actually smelled it when it was fresh. Oh my gosh. It just it's like sulfur and garbage and <laughs> armpit and hate all mixed together. It's so bad. <laughs> and the taste is even worse than that. Um, so I tried that. There was only a, once, I'm guessing. Oh actually I gave it two tries. And the first one I was like, okay, whatever. And right. I tried to give it another try and I was like, no, oh I'm done gosh. with this. And I think I spent like it was kind of expensive too, and I only bought a few pods. I didn't buy the whole fruit. Right. And I just tossed it. Oh, I was like, wow. I can't even eat this. So some of my money literally went in the trash because of that. Because <laughs> right. uh, I got a little overexcited at the grocery stores with the fruit. Um, and this other thing that I had was the English name is a Thai plango. A Thai plango. Okay. Yes. It's a small orange fruit. It's probably about the size of um, a plum, but it's a little bit more oval than okay. circular. And... It's funny because that's the first thing I said is I bit into it and it had that snap kind of like a plum. Right. But it was super sweet in the middle like a mango. I was like, this is like a plum and a mango had a baby. And then we had to look up the English name. It was called a plango oh, okay. from plum and, and mango. mango right. yeah. And now it makes sense. Yes, it all makes sense. But you can't really get that anywhere. I mean, durian, they'll export it out. But Ng told me that the plangos are very specific to Chiang Mai in Thailand. You can't even get them, like, all over the country. Dang, you have piqued my interest with that, too. Yeah, oh, so I that's, know. like, the one thing I wish I could have, like, preserved brought and back, brought right. back. Um, but other than that, it was just a lot of other tropical fruit. I mean, we ate mango almost every day, and it's totally different over there. Right. It's sweet and fresh. Because all our mangoes, you know, are imported. So that was fun. Was it hard to get around like within the different cities well you know in malaysia we used uber oh yeah really yeah malaysia has uber how yeah. about that the more you know and in thailand they, they did have uber but it was a little bit more uh difficult to get uh but we just we we didn't ride in a tuk-tuk which is my one regret but is it tuk-tuk similar to like a rickshaw or it's it's kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. You guys will have to Google it after okay. to see the image on it. It's like a motorbike with a cart on the back, but... And it's, it's like open, a motorized it's, rickshaw. Yeah, it's like, o- it's like an open air thing, but that's like kind of what they're famous for. But Ing said because they're so touristy now, they're right. overpriced. I feel like I did that when I was in India and I had a sore throat for the whole time because it was... It's open. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's all of the exhaust is yes. just funneling right back into. Okay, yes. I think I know what you're talking and about. And not to mention, it was the 106 degrees, so we wanted to get into a car so we could get some get some air, AC a little bit. Right. And then the beginning of the trip, we actually rented a car. Oh, okay. So because we were driving around so much um, from one attraction to the next, but you know they're on the opposite side, driver on the opposite side, right. and Ing's brother drove us around most of the time, so we were fairly safe. But when it was time to switch. I was a little scared. Right. You know, having to have an English driver 
You know, because she's she's used to driving here. All right. So she gets in and she's sitting in the driver's seat and she's trying to like turn the turn signal on. The windshield wipers are going on. And I'm sitting. <laughs> That's in the always back. a bad. Yeah, signal. I'm sitting in the back like saving <clears throat> prayers because I'm like this is not gonna go well. Right. And we actually ended up getting into a minor accident. Oh wow. <laughs> While we were there, um, which is ironic because we even like Ing even said that she hadn't had her. Um, license renewed over there and we're like oh as long as we don't get in an accident and pulled we're over good, we're right. fine so of course that happened but um see why the guy traveling was that he had his international driver's license which you can get oh. anywhere um it's basically like a fishing's license like you just go and you sign up and you have to pay something and they'll give it to you <laughs> you don't just really have to for dri- the government to make exactly money. like you don't have to take a test or anything um so he could have driven but we just let ing do it right. which was probably a mistake but it was just a minor Minor accident because they have motorbikes that just drive down the, they they drive down the center lane. Right. They don't follow the rules. So you know we're trying to and it's very aggressive driving there. Like if you don't pull out or just do whatever you want, like you're gonna get eaten alive. Right. So she kind of had that passive U.S. driving. Waiting for it. Yeah, she was kind of letting people over and this and that. I was like, girl, you gotta just do it. And then some guy cut out right in front of us and a motorbike slammed right in the back of us but everyone oh, was okay that's good that's good it was the same thing you know we had to call the insurance company they came out they took the pictures and then we all moved on but I feel like they should have an app for that oh my god! over in Malaysia they should it was ugh just a bump in the road on a little trip you know so good stuff so we had so the flight was 1200 yep spending money was about 400 yep. you were plus or minus three or four hundred for lodging for yep. the whole time mm-hmm. so all in all Around that 2,000, 2,200 yep. range? You could do, I, I, I would say, you know, 2,500 is really what you should set aside to really plan it, depending on what you want to do um, and where you want to go. But you'll probably come in under that. Okay. Uh, depending on how much spending you do and where you go. I mean, we did a lot. We did elephant riding. We did temple. A lot of the temples you do have to pay, so that's another thing to keep how in mind. How much about? I actually don't um, even know if my math was right with that. No, you're you're right. You're, oh. right on, you're right on target there. Um, so for some of the temples, you know, it would be like a hundred baht, which is you know their currency there. Um, some were five hundred baht, and most of the time they say like you know I think our exchange rate was like thirty five. So take whatever their price is and divide it by thirty five. Right. So I mean, not a ton, but you'll you'll go through the cash if you're doing a lot of. Um, Attractions, right? But like I said, we did the temples, we did elephant riding, we did cabins on the water and in the mountains, and did you say five hundred baht? Sorry to interrupt. Yes. Okay, so that's about some. fourteen bucks. On some of them, yeah, and so it, you know, it just really depends on what you do. But I, I would definitely set aside twenty five hundred uh, for a trip like that. Okay, cool. Now, previously switching gears, previously, where, how frequently have you traveled? Abroad? It had been, um, the last time I was on a big international trip, like that was in, I went to Korea and Japan, so I studied in Korea for six weeks in undergrad. Right. Uh, so the summer going into my senior year, and I was there for six weeks, and then we went to Japan, and then I'd been to Panama probably two or three times from then. Right. But that doesn't feel like a big trip to me, because my best friend's there, and it's kind of standard now. Right. Um, but the time before that, it was high school, I'd... I did two Europe trips in high school, and we did, like, Italy and Germany, and the second one we did, like, London, Scotland, and Ireland. But I was too young, really, to appreciate it then, so this was kind of my first big adult trip, really planning it, because even with Korea, I was going to school, so 
my agenda was kind of set in for me already right. and I had to go to class and whatnot. So this is since, you know, I'm 27 now. This is my first kind of girl meets world, planned it on my own. Right. Nothing really else taking me there but myself. Where to Corey Matthews. Yes, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's what's up. Yeah. So um, I have one more question for you. It has escaped me. I'm going to edit all of this out. <laughs> um, yeah, gum. Oh, okay. Can you tell everyone what you do for your, your as a means of income? Oh, um, so I am the director of marketing at Power, which is an advertising agency here in Louisville. And I've been there for about three years. So um, they not only financially made the trip happen, but they're, they're very lenient with um, vacation as long as you give ample notice ample notice so i understand that you know not everyone will be able to take this trip depending on what you do for a living but like i said it was only eight days off so with the weekends so if you plan it correctly you're not going to be out of pocket too much and um you know i have verizon and we paid for a data plan over there was like 80 dollars uh added to our monthly bill and it covered incoming or all outgoing texts and emails and whatnot nice. um to a certain amount so, I mean, I was checking it on and off, but, you know, my boss, who was very understanding of it, which I'm grateful for, was like, don't even check your emails. Like, right, just live. Just be go over and there, live right. and go over there. So, but for those who are think they can't do it, eight days is not nearly as bad as you think it is. And I just suggest doing it because, at least in my industry, you get burnt out very easily, like super easily. <laughs> So to have a true vacation, because, you know, the first few years working, I took long weekends here and there, and it really is not the same thing. You really need to take at least a full week off of work where you're shutting down, no right. emails, no checking in. And I, I came back just with a very different appreciation and different outlook on everything. Right. And, you know, I always have my marketing brain on. So even over there, like, I was getting ideas. of like, oh, that's This so could be cool. optimized. This could be optimized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just different things like, you know, their billboards are so different and the way they can advertise is different. So it was it was nice to kind of be able to apply that to what I do back home. But, you know, there really isn't an excuse. I'm the first person to be like, oh, I don't have the money or I don't have the time or I can't do that. Right. And then I kind of had to come to Jesus with myself and said, you need to and should do this. And once we sat down and did it, it wasn't nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. Right. But that's, I think, what everyone tells themselves why they can't do trips like this is that they don't have the time or money and it's just not true okay. you can really plan it out and do it awesome well thank you we appreciate you sitting down and rehashing your trip and having an opportunity to reflect and everything it definitely sounds like it was an interesting opportunity to have and uh would you go back you plan on Returning? Absolutely. I mean, I don't, I think my next trip will, we're trying to do Korea and Japan. Now I've got the bug. So uh, I'm, I'm wanting to go back to Korea and Japan. I'll go back to, I think, both Malaysia and Thailand. Probably not right away. Right. But it's definitely a place that um, you want to go to really experience culture and the food and the people and the language and uh, the people are just fascinating there. Right. So that's that's the best part, is just going and seeing how people on the other side of the world live their everyday life. And it makes you feel um, makes you feel small, which we all need to feel every now and then. Absolutely. So it was good. That's good stuff. Well, yeah, definitely thank you. Where um, can people find you, social media and whatnot? 
Yeah, so she has some pretty to, dope pictures. Yeah, on if you want to see the pictures, find me on Instagram. It's at K Delost, and that's D E L O S T. And um, you can follow me on Twitter as well. There's not as many pictures there, so Instagram is the best place to go see pictures from there. And uh, that's also K Delost on Twitter as well. Awesome. So uh, thank you, and thank you all for listening to this episode of the Travel Guides. And remember, your next adventure is just a click away. Thanks for listening.